Today's episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. What if comparing car insurance rates was as easy as putting on your favorite podcast? With Progressive, it is. Just visit the Progressive website to quote with all the coverages you want. You'll see Progressive's direct rate, then their tool will provide options from other companies so you can compare. All you need to do is choose the rate and coverage you like. Quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Comparison rates not available in all states or situations. Prices vary based on how you buy. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. The End of Time and Other Bothers. An improvised fantasy role-playing game set in the world of Alba Salix. Your game master is Sean Howard. Welcome to The End of Time and Other Bothers, Episode Zero. I'm here with Michael, who plays Egerton, the flightless fairy, and I'm going to introduce him in a minute. This podcast is an improvised fantasy role-playing game that takes place in the world of Alba Salix. If you want to get right into the story, go ahead and jump to episode one right now. This episode is just here to help explain some of the mechanics, the game system we're using, and how we went about using improv to create this show. But the show is story first, so you really don't have to listen to this. This is here if you really just want to know that stuff, and we're happy to tell you. So... I'm here with Michael Howie. He plays Egerton the Flightless Fairy, and Michael Howie is also a professional journalist. So we thought what would be a fun way to get an episode zero out would be just to have Michael interview me and go through a series of questions so we can help explain some of the decisions we made together. And there's a full cast, but they're not here today. So it's just me and Michael for episode zero. And Eli. Yeah, and Eli in the background. Recording. All right. So let's get started. You use a lot of words in describing what we are doing. Uh, it's not just a role-playing game. It's not just a fantasy podcast. And it's not just improv. Right. So what is this world that we are creating? I have no idea how to answer the first question. Eli and I wanted to set out to create something a little different. There are a lot of great role-playing-based podcasts out there. And I have to mention Taz. Uh, the Adventure Zone is sort of what first got me addicted to this idea. And then there's been some amazing other shows that have launched, like Join the Party is another one that I really adore. All of these shows sort of took that next step of editing and putting together a cohesive role-play story. And what we wanted to do was sort of to try and take another step forward. And whether we succeed or not is up, up for everyone's interpretation. But the idea was to find a way to tell a story that could explore things like an ABC structure, still using a role play mechanism. So it's still four people sitting around a table playing a role playing game. But we're introducing a couple things. So the first is we're using improv 
to uh, make offers back and forth. So it's not the GM telling you what's happening, and it's not just the player suddenly saying, this is what's happening. We're making offers back and forth, which is an improv technique. And the second thing we're doing is we're trying to play with an AB and sometimes an ABC structure. So in audio drama, if you listen to Alba, any of our shows, you'll hear that. You'll hear there's a main storyline and then we'll interweave a secondary or a tertiary storyline. In a role-playing game, it's hard to do that because generally you're just bringing the players and their characters through a storyline linearly together. And neither Eli nor I wanted to have scenes where it's me, the GM, the game master, talking to myself. Hi, I'm Baba. How are you doing? I'm Baba. Like, we didn't want to do that. So it's been a really interesting challenge to see how we do that third part. So that's what we set out to do. But at the end of the day, we wanted a story that you could just listen to and enjoy and get really into the characters. All right. And... As part of that, the the mechanism or the mechanics of the game are, are probably extra important in this way. And you guys settled on Dungeon World as the system for us to use as we build the world, as we play the game. What was the, the decision-making process that led you to Dungeon World? It was chaos. <laughs> we have... Uh, Stephen Smith is our roommate and our game consultant because we're up here recording in our third floor where we have 470 games mm -hmm. in our third floor. And so Stephen was sort of um, proposing different systems that he had and, and walking through them with us and trying to also research other systems. I'm, a, I'm an old-time D&D, advanced D&D 2 guy, and I... The first thing we did was we ran a test game in the 5e. So we just did Dungeons & Dragons, the latest edition, and just sort of got up to speed on those rules. And when we started to explore this idea of story first, there were a lot of things in D&D that didn't work for me. And other GMs out there have chosen to sort of change, sort of home, home what's that called? Where you Homebrew. Yeah. So the other jams have, yeah, attempted to, like, homebrew solutions to some of the problems in D&D. &D. One of the biggest challenges to D&D &D is it's just battle-based. And battle is very monotonous. Uh, we roll initiative. Whose turn is it? You hit, and another character hits, and another character, and then they all hit attack. And it's not a great story. Mm -hmm. So that was my first problem with D&D. &D. And the second problem with D&D &D is that it's about creating gods. Characters just keep going up and level, up and level, up and level until they have more and more HP until they're basically you have to bring in dragons before it'll be any kind of a challenge for them. So I wanted to find a system that would not be battle-based as its core mechanism, would fit better with story and improv mechanism, and three, would get rid of that and, and would keep that element of sort of danger. So one of the shows that I heard was The Infinite Bad, and they had homebrewed a system where nobody had a lot of HP, like nobody, sorry, nobody had a lot of hit points. <laughs> Just to explain what that is, and so it it raised the danger stakes. And then I listened to the Adventure Zone, and they were in their off season, and he ran everyone through a Monster of the Week system, which is based on the Apocalypse system. A lot of words you don't really need to know, but I loved it. I loved that. Cyst. I love the idea. Now, Monster of the Week, though, is very specific to you're always just fighting monsters, and we wanted to move away from just fighting all the time. 
But that led me down the apocalypse path to end a long way. And so I started looking at different apocalypse systems. And Dungeon World is basically Dungeons and Dragons ported over to the apocalypse system. And it's super fun. And I loved it. And so that's the one we ended up choosing. And along the way, I was one of the many people who lived through your tirades about uh, perception checks. Uh, and we're going to get into dice rolls a bit later. But this is fun for me to relive. Um, it is Sean literally ranting about perception rolls as we were just out and about. So we, we will get into that. I just had to... to Remember Can you that. see the paper you're referencing right now, Michael? You better roll to check. <laughs> Is that car coming towards us while we're driving? <gasps> I don't perception know. Perception check. <laughs> yeah, I wanted to get rid of perception checks. Uh, it got a little dangerous for all of us. Uh, Eli and I have had to form a support group, in fact. Uh, player sheets are an integral part of role-playing games. Yeah. Uh, let's talk about what player sheets are and what the player sheets in Dungeon World generally look like, as they are all unique. I think... With all of the Apocalypse System games, the ones based on the Apocalypse System, the player sheet is far more of the game than most role-playing games. So the idea is that in, in Dungeon World, the player sheets that every character has outline pretty much all of your abilities. And the idea is that you, as you maybe level up or you get better at something, you can select or get new moves. So Dungeon World is broken into moves. People take moves. And all of those moves are listed on the individual player sheets. So you'll hear, sometimes we'll reference a player sheet. The thing I really liked about Dungeon World was it's not all defined. And there's a lot of people out there sort of creating their own player sheets. So rather than changing the system, which we've done a little, you can just create a new player sheet. So we have Blatt, who's a half demon. And I basically found someone who had created uh, a demon and used that as inspiration and basically created a whole new player sheet specific to Blatt and his abilities. So one of the things that we did with this campaign is we started everyone off as level zero. So I created a version, which was, in hindsight, way more work than I needed to do. But I created a version of everyone's player sheets that didn't have a class, so like a job. So to translate that, uh, in D&D, you'd have a fighter or a ranger or a paladin, and that defines what you can do. It's the same thing in Dungeon World, but that would be called your class. So nobody had a class, and everyone had no level, but you had some innate moves that were specific to your race. So <laughs> I love the fairy cake. I'll just, so I'll read it. And I think we read it in episode one or two. I it, think it comes up pretty quickly. It might be three now based on how it's all come down. But so uh, one of the moves that's on Egerton's sheet is called fairy cakes. When you feed someone one of your fairy cakes, sweets or nom noms, roll plus wisdom. On a 10 plus, you heal them for a certain number of points. So you're healing them on a 10 plus roll. On a seven to nine roll, which is called a partial success, which we'll explain in a minute, you heal them, but with a side effect, like drunken, blindness, tripping. And that's just an example of, uh, and that's it, that's what's written. And it's a very simple move, but it's a lot of fun in game to play with that, that these fair cakes are so powerful, they come with sometimes a side effect. 
And so what I love about Dungeon World is that we were able to use these player sheets and sort of customize them to the world in the game. And the player sheets still do have the traditional RPG uh, strength, wisdom, charisma, dexterity, constitution. Yeah, which we should explain if somebody's new and like, oh, what is all this stuff? Strength is how strong you are, athletic. Intelligence is how smart you are, used by wizards to cast spells, same as in Dungeons and Dragons. Dexterity is how dexterous you are, like uh, an acrobatic move would be based on your dexterity score. Uh, wisdom is sort of like, I like to think of it as street smarts. Uh, constitution is how hardy you are, like, you know, are you sickly or are you really hardy? Um, and charisma is your charisma. It's how good you are at interacting with people or uh, influencing people. And so, yeah, it has all that. It has the same ones from D&D. The way the roles work is, mm. for me, the big difference between Dungeon World. Well, there's, there's a lot of differences, but this is the one that, as a game player, right. jumps out the most. Yeah. In Dungeons and Dragons, as we've we've already mentioned, you roll for pretty much everything you want to do, and you've got several different types of dice. But you're almost always rolling the twenty sided die. Yeah. yeah. Um, in Dungeon World, all of us, and in our game particularly, all of us have two six sided dice in front of us, and there are sometimes when we have to roll, but it's not the same as do you succeed or fail. Uh, I think the best way to do it then is to explain. We can use the fairy cakes as the example. How does, I mean, how do we use these two dice to determine yeah. what happens? So what I like about Dungeon World is it's built for action first. So basically in the game, you're going to hear a scene where uh, Egerton, mm -hmm. Michael, you bring out your fairy cakes and Marisa, who's playing Darcy, says, actually, no, I, I could use a fairy cake right it's now. It's a very good Marisa impression. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. And she's in a, having a hard time and she accepts this fairy cake. Basically, the story came first and said, okay, we're, someone's going to eat a fairy cake. And then Michael would roll 2d6 because it's his fairy move. So he would roll the... I'll do it again. <laughs> You're laughing while I roll the dice. Because you keep rolling ones. I know. I'm rolling really bad, everyone. So Michael would roll the dice. And because the move says roll plus wisdom, he would add his wisdom modifier. So he rolled 2d6. In this case, I rolled a 7. So I would add plus one, because that's what Egerton's modifier is for wisdom. So I would have an eight. And the way it works is very simple. One to six is a failure. Seven to nine is a partial success. Ten plus is absolute success. So in a role-playing game, if I rolled an eight, Darcy would be healed, but she would have some kind of effect happen to her. So she might be blind. I <laughs> think that happens in somebody. We won't say who in episode two or three. So what's really fun about Dungeon World, and it's difficult for me, and I'm struggling with it as a GM, is I'm used to playing games where there's success or failure, and there's super success or super failure, like a critical fail, roll a one. They're, they're funny because you, 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 you did it so badly. Or 20 is a super success. In Dungeon World, there's failure, which is basically I make a hard move. Something doesn't go well. Maybe she has an allergic reaction to it. What, who knows what happens? Um, a partial success is where I have some, there's something that doesn't go the way you want, but, but it is a success. So you have to allow the success to happen, and then you have to introduce what the cost is. Sometimes that's a choice you have to make, and, and it, I'm finding that's 
it takes a while as a GM to get your head wrapped around that mixed success idea because it's new, it's different, mm-hmm. even though it sounds simple. And then on a 10 plus, it's like a super success. Like often you'll hear in the game, I'll say, what happens? Because story continues. You got your, if you were trying to climb a wall, you not only climbed it, you vaulted over it and whatever you want. So that's how the dice roll. A really interesting situation is then in conflict situations, in battle, because uh, battle still does exist. Those who are familiar with Dungeons and Dragons know you first roll to try and hit. Yeah. And if your roll is higher than the armor class of what you're trying to hit, it's successful. Yeah. And then you roll damage. Yeah. And then the, either the DM, GM, or the player says, and this is what happens. Right. And that is really convoluted. And as you said earlier, that's one of the things that can really get monotonous in Dungeons and Dragons. How does it work in Dungeon World? Is it the same type of try and hit and then if you hit? No, it's all story first. So the really cool thing is that in Dungeon World, the players and the GM, as we're improving, are in control of how far zoomed in or zoomed out we are. In Dungeons and Dragons, if you're following the rules and not homebrewing, you're basically doing every six seconds of a battle. And everybody gets a turn every six seconds, everyone. And, it, and if you have a lot of players and a lot of, it can get really monotonous. In Dungeon World, the players are able to just make, tell story. Mm-hmm. And if the players want to do something that would put them in harm's way or that would be, that would call on one of the moves on their sheet, then we look at rolling. But as you're going to see as you listen, it's not a lot of rolling. If if a player says, I want to see if I can see where the enemy is and I'm going to you know, yell at someone and I'm going to move over to this location and you're nowhere near, you're not in harm's way, then that's what, it just happens. The story continues. Everyone's playing. You'll hear this in the game that when a player attempts to do something where danger is involved, then there's a common role called defy danger. So the story would happen first and then we'll roll really quickly and then we'll resolve in story. Uh, there's also hack and slash, which is if you do go to fight. But unlike being like, you hit, you hit, you hit, it's it's like you can do a complex move as a character. You can be like, I, I wrenched the goblin away from the catapult so I can reach the lever. And that might be a hack and slash move. Or, mm-hmm. So it, it's a lot more fluid and there's less rolling and there's no initiative. It's It's what makes sense in the story, which I really like. Talking about the story and how we then resolve a situation leads into a note you have, which is what is improvised. And I know this did come up with a, uh, a a beta listener. The improvisation of this show is mixed in with mechanics and with other elements. What parts actually are improvised? The entire show, we are using improv tools that you won't even hear or notice so the role-playing is how we uh, move through the world and we have moves and we, we just – that's the, the mechanism by which we're running this story. Improv is how we're running the story. So in the opening of episode one – I won't give too much away here – but there's a back and forth between myself and Blatt around pneumatic tubes and a unsticking stick that he came up with and a high-pitched scream of the whistle and – all of this back and forth, we constructed that space, his job, what happens, all without stopping to go, okay, wait, what happens next? Who's doing what? It was all by doing offers back and forth. So there's um, there's a scene that people, the beta listener, didn't 
couldn't believe was improv where Egerton, your character, you had no idea where you were starting. No, yeah. Right. So suddenly I say we cut and the camera moves and we move in on a building and we're coming in on a boardroom. Like Michael's eyes were just getting wide when I was doing it live when he realized, oh God, this is me. Yeah. And, and I set up a scene and then there's a moment where you had a slide. You had a bunch of slides prepared because that's what, that's what you introduced. So mm-hmm. you introduced based on what I set up that you have preparing slides for a presentation. And then I gave you what the title of that slide was, just in flow. I'm like, oh, and the title of the slide, right, is X and something. I did it better than that. But, and you just went with it. Yeah. And that's improv. So improv is making offers. And if we do it well, you don't even realize that offers are being made. And it's just a flow. And it's not easy to do. And so selecting the players around the table, a lot of work went into selecting the players around the table. We wanted some people that were, well, I'll be honest, I wanted one person that was an expert improver. I wanted one person that had a really strong acting background that was interested in improv. And I wanted another person that was a role-playing geek. Mm -hmm. And I wanted this all to mix together and I wanted us to have fun. And it seems to be working. And so everyone is improving, though. Everyone is learning and improving and making offers. Um, and it's a really funny scene where I start blocking offers with a character. That's what oh. he does. And your character, Egerton, sort of <laughs> called me out in game. Um, it was really funny. But yeah, so that's that. The improvise, you won't really notice it. Uh, it's the fact that we are just going, we're creating a story together. And we're, we're using a lot of yes and. So the idea is yes and is you take an offer, even if it's not what you expected, like the food scene, and you go with it. Or yes, but you take it and you turn it. Or a no, but. You can also do a no, but where you say no and you're turning the scene, but that's more difficult to do. And there are offers being made by the players that are shaking the very foundations of the show. So one of the things that we haven't talked about is we're trying to put this show into the Alba Salix universe. Alba Salix is our first show, our first podcast. It's a fairy tale medical sitcom with a full cast. And so that presented us with a few challenges on how to integrate into the world, a world where there's already canon. And so Eli and I have had to spend months creating maps and backgrounds and stories and a, and, and coming up with what how these four characters can have the freedom to improvise and tell a story without being told, oh, no, 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 you know, demons can't do that or fairies can't do that in Alba world. But the funny part is that, yeah, some of the things that happened in episode one uh, made us re- have to rethink core critical parts of the major arc that we're working on, but in a cool way, right? So it's been fun. It's been really fun. And the characters have no, like, you guys have no idea. You're just trying to get through your scene and have fun. Oh, and the thing that jumps out at me in this and I've mentioned this to a few people, is every time we have recorded so far, at some point, whether it's involved in the actual game or it is a pause in between scenes, I have laughed so hard I have cried at least <laughs> once. Um, one time I think we delayed starting because Carter was making faces at me. Yeah. And it took me 10 minutes to settle down again. Yeah, it was good. The endnote sessions are very interesting. And sometimes you end up taking a lot of flack as mm-hmm. people will hear, what are EndNote sessions and what is the value of them to a listener and to us as the players and the game uh, uh, master? Well, first I have to give credit where credit is due. Join the Party has something called the After Party. 
and we are directly stealing from them. It's a great concept. They do it really well. Theirs is more structured. Right now, ours is a little chaotic. So our EndNote sessions are where people can sit back and go, what the friggin' you know what was that? Or what were you thinking? But we can also explore things like, did you expect us to go this direction? Because part of my job as a GM is to keep it moving and fluid. And sometimes I'm able to do that. And there's some cases where around the table, people are like, well, that wasn't planned because you guys just gave me something and I had to accept the offer. Okay. So the idea of the end notes is just to be able to have that conversation. So what we've started doing is giving out little green cards to everyone that people can write down questions, including Eli on the engineer table to say, you know, what are some questions we want to go over? We're going to put the first one or two endnotes up for everyone, but moving forward, the endnotes will be for patrons. So supporters on Patreon, they'll get access to the endnote sessions where they can hear more about Michael's experience with the food. I actually wrote what the F yeah, in big letters on my my note. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a great scene. <laughs> it's it's going to haunt me forever. How can people learn more about the show? How can they get involved? What is the best way for them to both show support and stay up to date on what's going on? Well, everyone can go to otherbothers.com or albasalix.com, and you can access the show from there. So you can access the end of time and other bothers. Reviews are so, so important to us as, as story creators and podcasters. Sharing with a friend, using the hashtag OtherBothers is also a great way you can sort of help get the word out about this show. And for those that can afford to do so, you can support us with like a dollar a month at patreon.com slash And there's some great perks that are available. And that's always just really appreciated. But any love that you can show for this show and get the word out there is super appreciated. And with time, as we get more and more episodes out, there's going to be the opportunity for people to send questions in for the end notes and maybe even participate in different ways. Long live Boltius. Long live Boltius. So thanks, everyone, for tuning in to episode zero. We hope you enjoyed it. And we are super excited to hear what you think of the show. So please go ahead and listen to episode one and be sure to drop us a note or a tweet and let us know what you thought. What's that warm up? Which, which one? Which, which, whatever, what, what, whatever, what, weather. <laughs> whether the weather be good or whether the weather be cold. Whatever the weather will weather the weather. Yeah, okay. That. I just did that. hmm The Fable and Folly Network, where fiction producers flourish. This is routine update log number six for Dr. Edison Tucker concerning my research into the town of Jerusalem, Oregon, and the existence of the supernatural, paranormal, mythological, etc., etc., blah, blah, blah. Anyway, since arriving, I've definitely encountered some stuff that could be classified under weird ass. I mean, where else does putting lamb's blood on people's doorways actually work as pest control? And nobody in town will talk to me about the picnic area near Lincoln's farm. Although, could be because everybody thinks I'm one of those monster-hunting idiots. Which I'm not, okay? I am an experienced professional who takes my work extremely seriously, and I am going to prove this if it's the last thing I ever- Dr. Tucker, what have I told you about keeping samples in the fridge? (sighs) 
Although, to be honest, I think the biggest mystery on my hands is how I'm going to survive living with Lucille Kensington, stuck-up extraordinaire. So, if you guys don't hear from me again, it wasn't something in the woods that got me. Probably. Where the Stars Fell. Available now wherever podcasts are found.